Welcome to Pure Nonfiction. I'm your host, Tom Powers. We're coming to you from the Toronto International Film Festival, known as TIFF, where I serve as the documentary programmer. We're listening to music from the film I Am Not Your Negro by Raoul Peck that made its world premiere at TIFF. been a favorite among festival goers. Today, Magnolia Pictures announced a distribution deal with plans to make it eligible for this year's Oscars. Peck creates a film essay from the writing of James Baldwin, who died in 1987. Baldwin was renowned for both novels and nonfiction, including his books Notes of a Native Son and The Fire Next Time. Peck draws upon a range of Baldwin's work, including an unfinished book, about the lives and deaths of three civil rights leaders, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and Medgar Evers. The film connects their legacy to our times. Raoul Peck grew up in Haiti and Congo. He went to school in New York, Paris, and Berlin. In 1990, he directed a documentary about the Congolese leader, Patrice Lumumba. And in 2000, he had a breakthrough with his fiction film, Lumumba. His other fiction films include Sometimes in April, set in Rwanda, and Murder in Pakot, set in Haiti. I interviewed Peck on September 13th as the keynote conversation at TIFF Doc Conference, recorded before a live audience. I asked how he's maintained his independence as a filmmaker. I did not set out to become a filmmaker. For me, images, uh, film, were something you do on the side. Uh, My father uh, had a photo camera, he had a Super 8 camera. I used to play with it, use it. Uh, But it it was not something you, coming from Haiti, a poor country, um, and for many other reasons, that did not sound serious, you know, to go into the movie business. And, it and, still and, doesn't, by and, the way, yes, no matter where you yes, come from. Yes. <laughs> and, and then uh, I, I didn't have a lot of uh, example to follow. Uh, so I studied seven years industrial engineering. And I became an economist and an engineer. And that was supposed to be my profession. Everything else, writing, photos, was something you do on the side. And until I... I was doing so much on the side, politics, I was very involved in many groups, uh, and, uh, and also in film, documentary, fiction. A lot of my friends were filmmakers. Uh, and I, I decided to not to, to work on, in my field, and, and, or let's say to work differently. And so I, I decided to go back to film school for another four years. And, I was much older, I was 26, so I knew enough of life uh, so that this decision was really clear-eyed. So I knew that why I was going to study film. Uh, and film was never about making, telling stories or, or being an artist. It was always from the get-go uh, as an engagement, as a... Uh, a way to fight, as a way to uh, uh, open doors. As a, it, it was an instrument, never a, a means for itself. 
I wonder if you can tell me when you came to Baldwin's writing and, and what it meant to you. Well, uh, as a little boy, like many other black little boy like me, if you were interested in literature, in film, uh, we, we would always come to a point where uh, we felt that this book, this film, were not telling our story. It, it did not represent what we were living in our everyday life. And, uh, and at the time, there were not many authors that you could look up to. And as far as my life, well, I, I had Baldwin, Aimé Césaire, and Franz Fanon, basically. But uh, I started reading Baldwin when I was 16. And it, it, it made a big uh, change. It, it really, it gave gave me uh, the legitimacy of thinking, of accepting who I was. And he allows me to decipher the world around me. And in a very um, poetic way, real way, because he's at, at the same time uh, a great, uh, I would say, theorist and uh, rhetoric. Uh, and at the same time, it's about the your... Theorist, every, not the, terrorist. The, yeah, terrorist. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> this day is dangerous to, to misspell that. Uh, and at the same time, it was about your daily life. You know, how, how do you watch film? How do you interact in, in a civil situation every day of your life? So uh, for a very long time, I, I felt like I grew, grew up with Baldwin. And, and when I was in my 20s, uh, I realized that I was saying a lot of things that were, in fact, Baldwin's. Hmm. For me, he was always part of my life. It, it's a kind of, uh, uh, of person, uh, and I say person, but because it was not just his book. In that you, you were kind of watching how he conducted himself in public? Is, is of that course, yeah. of course. And he was, don't forget, uh, in, in the 60s, 70s, uh, he was probably the only black uh, artist and intellectual that you would see, uh, as you see in the film, uh, you know, almost an hour in Dick Cavett's show, in a time where there was only a three uh, television network, uh, Time magazine cover, etc., etc. He, he was almost a poster boy. So I want to dig a little deeper, yeah. and I'm curious, like, were there specific texts? Were you reading all of Baldwin? Were you more towards his essays or his novels? Was there one that really stood out to you? Uh, Personally, I always found of his essays. Uh, but the first book uh, that blew up everything, that was The Fire Next Time. And that, that's the book I must have given it like 500 times to, to friends and young people I met. Uh, it's like His my, publisher thanks you. Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> I should be part of the company by now. <laughs> Uh, so it, it's a small book, and it's really very personal and intimate, and it's really, uh, it opens the door for all the rest of Baldwin. And when, I think when you start with this book, you basically uh, try to read everything that he's written. So tell me about how this project uh, came about, uh, this film project. I was... Uh, still living in the States, and I was looking for my next project. It was after... I think uh, sometimes in April with HBO. And I asked my uh, dear lawyer and friend, Nina Shaw, about what is with Baldwin's right? Do you think I could maybe try to 
gets uh, an option about one of the book, or, and you were thinking about adapting one of his books. It, it was unclear. I just uh, knew that I have to go back to Baldwin and do something, and it was also a time where Baldwin had totally disappeared. So uh, Nina at first said, well, forget it. And then, yes, we, we did write a letter. And, and we had a response within three days. And they asked me if I would be willing to come to Washington and meet them. And, and I went there and I met uh, the person who opened the door to me was Gloria Carifa Smart, uh, James Baldwin's sister. Mm -hmm. and, and it was like I was coming back to a family, to my family. Mm. And she has seen my film, she has seen Lumumba, and uh, for her, uh, Lumumba was a very important film, so, and that opened all the doors for me. Once I had the rights, like, on everything Baldwin ever wrote, mm. uh, books, letters, essays, uh, fictions, um, speeches, etc. So I had a huge responsibility. I knew I could not just make a film on Baldwin. And I knew it would be a unique film and the only film, probably. So it took me time to find uh, the right entry to the subject, the right... Uh, uh, I knew the film even formally had to be different. Uh, I knew that I didn't want to interpret Baldwin. I wanted Baldwin center stage. His words should be center stage. No talking heads in the film. So to, to do that, it, it, I really needed uh, uh, something, and uh, four years after that, uh, Gloria gave me a letter and a bunch of notes, and it was a letter that you see uh, in the beginning, a letter to his literary agent, uh, telling him that he wants to, to, uh, to write a book about three of his friends, and, uh, and that the book was about America, and uh, uh, like an ultimate book on America, and uh, of course he never wrote that book, he never got to write it, and, and then for me that was the, the moment. I said, well, I think he did write it, but it's uh, in all his book, in mm. all his body of work, and I just had to search for it and put it together. Here's a clip from I Am Not Your Negro. To Jay Acton, Spartan Literary Agency, June 30th, 1979. My dear Jay, I'll confess to you that I am writing the enclosed proposal in a somewhat divided frame of mind. The summer has scarcely begun, and I feel already that it's almost over. And I will be 55. Yes, 55 in a month. I am about to undertake the journey. And this is a journey, to tell you the truth, which I always knew that I would have to make, but had hoped, perhaps, certainly hadn't hoped not to have to make so soon. Picking a voice for James Baldwin is a key element to this film. Can you tell me about how you found that voice for Baldwin? I know most of my films have voiceover, and I learned that more than just somebody that have a great voice or uh, is well known, uh, what you really need is that the voice can create a character, totally independent, who has his own soul, 
his own feelings. And so I needed somebody who not only represented something, but uh, also who could delve inside that character and create it. And I had a list of, of uh, six to eight uh, well-known uh, actors, black actors, and, and uh, the criteria were diverse, and also one of them was somehow your credibility as a human being and, and what you meant to the population at large and what you represent. And Samuel Jackson came uh, on top of that list very early on and is the first one we, we approached and uh, also through uh, my lawyer, Nina Shaw. Uh, and, uh, and he accepted it. Uh, very quickly, and, and he read the text, he saw the, the edit that we had at the, at the time, and, um, and we, we set up a time for, for the recording. And I didn't have a, a, any particular direction to him besides telling him, whatever you say, it has to come from the inside. You are the text, you are Baldwin. So work with it as you would do for any role on stage, you know, actors on stage know how to work that. They, they have a text and they really play with the text until they own it. And this is what we, we needed for, for, for this voice. There's two, in my mind, prominent pieces of archival with Baldwin speaking. One is the, the Dick Cavett uh, conversation. I think the other one is also from 1968, a conversation with Kenneth Clark. Was there more that you could have drawn from, or was it a pretty limited selection of, of filmed interviews with Baldwin that, that exists? No, there are hours, hours, and the, the you know the Dick Cavett show itself is a document. Uh, Mr. Baldwin, I, I'm sure you still meet the uh, remark that um, what are the Negroes? Why aren't they optimistic? Um, they say, but it's getting so much better. There are Negro mayors. There's Negroes in all, all of sports. Uh, there are Negroes in, in politics. They're, um, uh, they're even accorded the ultimate accolade of being in television commercials now. And, um, <laughs> I'm glad you're smiling. <laughs> uh, is it at once getting much better and still hopeless? Well, I don't think there's much hope for it, you know, to tell you the truth. You know, as long as people are using this peculiar language. It's not a question of what happens to the, to the Negro here, or to the black man here. That's a, that's a very vivid question for me, you know. But, it, but the real question is what's going to happen to this country. I have to repeat that. Because in it, it's, it's everything. It's, it's the system, it's, uh, it's Baldwin, is how uh, the public saw Baldwin or somebody like Baldwin. And it tells a whole story. It's 45 minutes long. The most difficult part was to know what to take, what to keep, so that I did not shape the film only through those footage. I knew they were really valuable, but uh, on the other hand, I'm, do I'm making a film, and the film has to have its own identity. So um, there, there are many films uh, with Baldwin, and, and that's why uh, a lot of time I put those uh, credits to this film, because for me, they are important films as well, and they are complementary to that. But this should stay as Baldwin's uh, own voice, own uh, point of view, and I try to be as faithful as possible to who he was uh, and to uh, what did matter to him. 
And so it, it was a, for me, it was a condensed Baldwin and that will enable you to go everywhere in his work. Uh, and I hope the film will, uh, will do that. It's, uh, it's just a beginning. And to go back to Baldwin, because you need to know Baldwin today, especially. Given that Peck's work has an international range, I asked why he wanted to focus now on the United States. This particular film, it's about my, my youth here. Also, those images, you know, when, for me, uh, Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, John, Ke- uh, John Kennedy, they are I, in the kitchen of where I lived, uh, in uh, my uncle's house in, in Brooklyn, there was this, you know, those velvet rugs on the wall that you could buy in every street corner. <laughs> uh, that's part of my youth. And I, and, and I remember looking at that thing uh, on the wall for... And something was wrong with it for me. You know, it was like a myth, uh, mythological uh, picture. And um, so those things, revisiting, you know, the film is revisiting all these Tarzan, uh, Stagecoach, uh, John Ford, uh, John Wayne, Doris Day. Those are the images of, of my youth that mm. frame me as well. So uh, this film is also something like a memoir. Uh, uh, and the fact that I wanted this film totally embedded in, in the U.S., it's because um, it will have also a greater impact toward the rest of the world uh, because it gives it legitimacy here. And although I think the film is as important for European, for France, for the U.K., for all, because all those countries also have similar problem, although they don't want to acknowledge it, but they have similar project, uh, problem. Something your film reminded me is how much Baldwin loved movies and how much he was involved in movies that really never got made by and large. Uh, uh, he describes on the day that Martin Luther King was uh, killed in 1968, that he was in the middle of writing a, a screenplay about Malcolm X, where he hoped that Billy Dee Williams would play Malcolm X. When, when you think about the projects that Baldwin, the film projects that Baldwin was uh, involved with, what do you take away from all these unfulfilled dreams? Um, it, it's, uh, it's very difficult to say, because he, he was at a time where, again, he was the most, one of the most famous writers uh, black or white, and he wanted to do so much and without having really the infrastructure for it. Uh, he wanted to write plays. He did play, uh, wrote uh, a few plays. Uh, he wanted to write screenplays. And uh, I read, the, uh, if we, I think it's published, the um, Malcolm X screenplay. But of course, it's, it's unfilmable. It's, it's like it would cost 500 million. <laughs> Uh, you know, he has uh, in, in some, in three lines, there are, you know, just one setup where you see a lot of uh, birds and flies, and that would cost a million to, just to do that. <laughs> but again, uh, it, I, I like the poetry of the way he, he wrote that screenplay. And, and today you would do probably uh, three seasons uh, of, of, on Malcolm X with that, 
which is the ambition he had to those people were so important that they should have that much uh, screen time and um but at the same time it's it was almost too early i mean today baldwin would have a, would have agent manager mm -hmm. companies everything you know like a lot of today's the, the rappers they, they are doing they are in fashion they are in, mm -hmm. in record they are in this and you know this business takes a, a big part of that and at the time baldwin did not have that kind of infrastructure and and demand so but those um a, a lot of that work or for me sometimes incomplete of course but they are important because uh, he touches each time the basis of very important subjects it was like the first one to open all your eyes to the, to those projects i feel like in the last uh, 30 years we've seen these uh, moments of attention to black cinema. In the 1980s, you had uh, Spike Lee and John Singleton in that uh, movement. 20 years ago, Cameron Bailey here at the festival created the Planet Africa section that ran for uh, 10 years that was really looking to make international uh, connections. And, uh, you know, and I, and I do think that the, the, the vision of Cameron, who once was my colleague before, now he's my boss, uh, but um, so <laughs> and take this credit for what it is, but uh, I do think that Cameron's vision in shaping that 20 years ago, you see some of those hopes that were laid starting to, to pay off today. I mean, at, at this year's festival, there's more great examples of, of black cinema than I can think of at any other international festival in, uh, in my experience. But we also know that you know, sometimes these things are trends that you know, rise and fall. Now that we see like a little bit of momentum happening right now, we're does that energy need to go? Ah, that's a difficult question. Uh, I can try to answer it differently. First of all, I don't believe in those momentums. I've seen too many of them all, all my life, all, all my professional life. Uh, in fact, I, I may say that I'm one of the few in my generation who survived. I know a lot of good friends who, who had film in Cannes, who won prizes in Cannes who today cannot find money to make their films. Uh, my elders, people that, who I'm, I look up to, uh, because they were the only one I could uh, watch as example of what I wanted to do. People like Charles Burnett, like Aile Gerima, like uh, Billy Rudbury, all those people, they hardly, Aile is, is still trying to make his film. Charles Burnett is still trying to make films. And so, uh, and I've seen other who came after them, who, who again made two, three films, or, or people, women, uh, people like Julie Dash, all those great women uh, who disappeared at some point and who were struggling and to make their film. And th those were important people for, for, for cinema. There, there are uh, somebody like Carl Franklin. I remember the, uh, the, the One False Move. When I saw this movie, I was blown away. And for me, I said, wow, he made it. He's going to be the next Spielberg. Did not happen. And he made some film, and he's still working, I think. He's doing a lot of uh, television series. And, but those people, they should have a, a pile of money and choose whatever project they want to make. And, uh, 
So to, to answer your question is, I don't know what the way will be or how we will get that. First of all, I think we will never get it from the industry. The industry will never say, here, do it, unless we take it. And, uh, and the result for me is to be able to be in a room with an executive uh, to whom I pitch my project. I have half an hour and where I don't need to spend 25 minutes of that half an hour to explain who James Baldwin is and why he is important. For me, that's the result we want to have. Whether you are a woman, whether you are gay, whether you are an Asian, uh, we should be able to enter a room with somebody who knows where we come from, who knows our history. And, and where we can then have a discussion about film, about the process of making this particular film, and with what uh, uh, means you want to do it, to what, for what audience, etc., etc., to talk film, and not to have to convince that you exist. I want to thank Raoul Peck for talking to me at TIFF.conference. On our next episode, we hear another conversation from Doc Conference with the director, Nanette Burstein. Her new film is Gringo, The Dangerous Life of John McAfee, about the computer antivirus inventor who created an armed compound in Belize and has been accused of several crimes. Nanette talked to me about interviewing a Belize gangster. I did, I did try to, you know, uh, be as tough as I could um, without having him suddenly attack me across the room or anything. Um, uh, and he did come armed every time. He came armed. He was packing. Yeah. So that's of concern. Like we go to put the mic in him and it was like, oh, can you just move your handgun over? And there's like one in his sock too. You're like, okay. Did you have bodyguards with you? Not then, no. That would have been a good time. But. <laughs> Look out for that conversation next Thursday. I want to thank TIFF Documentary Program Associate Dorota Leck for helping to organize Doc Conference. Pure Nonfiction is distributed by the TIFF Podcast Network. Thanks to our team, series producer Michael Scotty Jr., sound mixer Kyle Murphy, web designer Cross Strategy, marketing coordinator Sarah Modo, social media handlers Jordan Smith, Alana Schreiber, and executive producer, Rafaela Nehausen. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow me on Twitter at T-H-O-M Powers. If you like what you've heard, the best way to support us is to subscribe for free on iTunes. And please spread the word to your friends. You can read our show notes, learn about live events, and sign up for our newsletter at purenonfiction.net.